This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera. A mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones, the dice rule. There'll be no re-rolls, no fudging the dice, no metacurrency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones, the party consisting of Beric the Fighter, Lena the Cleric, Keir the Rogue and Valen the Mage ventured into a cave in search of a place to make camp. The camp turned out to be the lair of a coven of hags, triggering a vicious battle. One of the hags miscast a charm person spell, then turned on her sisters. Kier was badly wounded, but the party was victorious. After the battle, the party discovered two children who were prisoners of the hags. The children, Seren and Rowan, had been taken by the hags after the evil creatures had bewitched their father. The next day, the party continued on to Halstone, but not before coming upon a strange mound with a stone that directed the sunlight to the entrance of a barrow, an ancient burial site. Not wishing to tarry, the party pressed on with the expectation of the sanctuary that the town may provide. Chapter 5 Part 1 Day 12 Late Morning Party Status Beric 9 out of 9 hit points Lena 6 out of 6 hit points Kier 2 out of 4 hit points Valen 4 out of 4 hit points Spells available Valen has memorized Push The sound of gulls mewing and the salty smell of fish and seaweed marked Halstone like any other bustling coastal town. Keir and Lena especially felt at home, but it was clear to their companions that the people of Halstone were wary of outsiders, which was strange given the size of the settlement. The townsfolk stopped their business as the strangers passed by and spoke together in hushed tones. Several clearly pointed at Beric in particular, whose shield bore the sun emblem of the Brethren. Many, though, wore expressions of surprise and relief at the sight of the children, and a few even began to follow after as Seren directed the party to her home. Passing a smithy, they turned off the main thoroughfare known as the High Street and proceeded down side streets and alleyways lined by typical buildings of wattle and daub. In a narrow street, they approached the modest single-storey dwelling identified by Seren. Beric alighted Rowan from his shoulders before knocking on the door. After a few seconds, the door was opened by a man. He was in his thirties with scruffy brown hair and a beard. He looked haggard, as if he hadn't seen sleep in several days. His eyes were distant and troubled. That was until they fell upon the children. Saren! Rowan! The man sank to his knees and embraced the children, sobbing as he held them. After a minute, he looked at the companions. I do not know who you are, or where you've come from, but thank you. How can I ever repay you? 
I am a poor man, but whatever I have is yours. There's no need, Beric replied, and the foul creatures that took them will prey on this town no longer. Then the whole town owes you a debt. We have lost many children these past months, the man added. Beric nodded solemnly. We have need of lodgings, and also to speak to someone in authority. Where might we find both? Beric inquired. There's an inn, the anchor just yonder on the high street, the man pointed. And you should speak to the reeve. You'll find him at the barracks. Well then, we shall leave you in peace. Seren broke away from her father's embrace and wrapped her arms around Beric, and then Lena. The girl looked up at the companions. I will never forget you. Nor shall we forget you, the novitiate said, smiling. Take good care of yourself, and of Rowan. The party said their farewells and headed for the anchor. The Gazetteer, the town of Halstone. Before now, Halstone was just a point on the map I created when the party left the tower back in episode 3. I had not given much, if any, thought as to what the town might be like, its size or significance in the region. I had no idea about the people, their attitudes, or those in authority. But now our adventurers have arrived, it's time to provide some colour and detail, and describe the first settlement in Legend of the Bones. Halstone is a small town on the north coast of the Pau Anmore Peninsula, with a population of around 1,200 souls. The town is part of the lands ruled by Lord Conwyn, whose stronghold is Castle Trevenid, some 30 miles away along the coast heading east. Providing the taxes are paid, Lord Conwyn has little interest in Halstone, and delegates stewardship of the town to the Reeve, Brannock. There are conflicting beliefs over the etymology of Halstone. Some folk believe the town's founder to have been a man named Hal, whereas others think that the name originates from the stone found at the ancient barrow nearby. In this regard, it is possible that the name is a derivation of Hellstone. The town sits astride the North Tain River, which passes between the fortified walls before flowing into the sea, where the coastline forms a natural harbour. Almost all of the buildings in Hellstone are typical wattle and daub structures, with exposed beams and thatched roofs, though a few wealthier properties do have a stone ground floor and roofs tiled with locally sourced slate. The two most important buildings in the town are the barracks, situated on the east bank of the river, and the temple which sits in the town's main square. The harbour at the mouth of the river provides much of the town's industry. Halstone's economy traditionally centred around sheep farming and fishing, the waters around the peninsula being rich in sardine, mackerel and herring. In recent years, the town has also been a key part of the supply route for the mining community of Four Rivers at the centre of the Tamewall. As a result, Halstone has grown rapidly over the past decade, and with that growth, new problems have presented themselves. Its location has meant that Halstone has often been a place for smugglers to sell on their cargoes, but the trade from Four Rivers has increasingly led to seaborne raids by pirates and by brigands from the nearby Hartwood. In response, Brannock travelled to Castle Trevenid to petition Lord Conwyn. Conwyn is a cunning man, and ever the opportunist. He agreed to pay for the town to be fortified with walls and a barracks to house a small garrison, 
in return for an increased tithe on all goods sold in and passing through the town. His investment was quick to provide a return, and what was once a backwater of Lord Conwyn's domain is quickly becoming an important source of wealth. More recently though, Halstone has come to the attention of more sinister forces. Chapter 5 Part 2 Day 12 Midday Party Status the party status is unchanged. The Anchor Inn was located on the High Street near the centre of town, just 50 yards from the barracks. The inn was a sizeable two-storey building with a stone ground floor and a jetted first floor made of wattle and daub. Above the door, hanging on a rusty chain, was an equally rusty anchor which squeaked gently as it swung in the breeze. The sound of people talking and laughing filtered from the two windows on either side of the door as well as the pungent scent of pipeweed. Beric pushed the door open and the companions went inside. The gloomy and smoky interior was bustling with patrons. Some sat around small tables, whilst others mingled standing. A few of the tavern goers played games of dice or cards, whilst servants busied themselves between the tables with mugs and plates. A row of high stools placed in front of the bar were mostly occupied. Those patrons were conversing with a rotund bald man with bushy side whiskers and wearing a leather apron who was cleaning a mug with a cloth. There was a momentary pause in the conversation as the patrons observed the new arrivals before it resumed once again. Lena, Keir and Valen found a table near the hearth whilst Beric approached the bar and sat on a vacant stool. The innkeeper nodded as Beric caught his attention. Well met, how can I be of service? the innkeeper asked. My companions and I are in need of rooms, food and ale if you please. Certainly. I have twin rooms available. Each room is four shillings per night. That includes breakfast, the innkeeper replied. We'll take them for two nights, though we may wish to stay longer. As you wish. As for the meal, a bowl of mutton stew and a mug of ale for the four of you will be two shillings. Beric reached into his pouch and slid 18 shillings across the bar towards the innkeeper. He thought that they would need to find some work soon, for they would need supplies and the coin they possessed would not last long. Now that's just what my belly needed, Keir said as he mopped up the last of his stew with a piece of bread and pushed the bowl away. The others nodded in agreement as each finished their stew and likewise pushed away their bowl. Now we've filled our stomachs, I think we should seek out the reeve. We need to report what happened, and the reaction of some folk to this, Beric gestured towards his shield that was leant against the table, did not escape me. You are not wrong, Beric. It has been two years since I was last in Halstone. I would sometimes accompany my master when he had cause to visit. We would come by the boat which would bring us our supplies. The last time I was here, it felt different, less troubled. I am certain the brethren would have passed this way. No one but the people of Halstone knew that my master and I were at the tower. Someone told them. But surely they would have known it would have endangered you both. That is certain, Lena, and very likely their intent. Then someone in this town means you ill, and the rest of us by association, Beric concluded. But who, and why? Lena said, somewhat dismayed. That's what we need to find out, Beric replied. 
Kier drained his mug before standing up. I'll ask around, see what I can find out. I'm going to make a gossip test for Kier based on his charisma. As mentioned in episode 0, I am using a standard ability check for human and demi-human reactions. As Kier is an outsider, and the people of Halstone are currently wary of strangers, I would normally apply a minus one penalty to Kier's role. However, in the environment of a tavern where the ale is flowing freely, I'm going to cancel this penalty. Therefore, Kier needs to roll a 13 or less to succeed. Here is the roll on a d20. A 19. That is unlucky. It would seem that the folk have noticed Beric's shield, and as such do not trust the rogue. Behind the screen, the world of Erden. Now we are a few episodes in, I think it's about time I flesh out some of the characteristics of the world in which Legend of the Bones is set. Erden is a world analogous to Earth in many ways. The planet is of a similar size and orbits a yellow dwarf star just like Earth. Similarly, there is a single moon. The same laws of physics apply, and the chemical, biological and geological makeup of the planet is the same as Earth. More practically, there are four main differences between Erden and our own planet. Firstly, humans are not the sole sapient beings. Demi-humans exist and are varied, though relations between these people are not always friendly. The three pillars of Tolkien-esque fantasy exist, but may be known by different names. Secondly, the existence of the gods is widely accepted and proven through the granting of blessings and miracles. The third difference is that some of the fauna that exists on our planet is different in size, for example giant crabs or spiders. Likewise, some animals which are extinct on our planet are not so on Erden. The fourth difference is that magic is real, albeit inexplicable to people. Magic allows the laws of physics, chemistry and biology to be altered or broken. Certain creatures are formed by or imbued with magic, and as such these creatures may be able to defy the laws of science and nature. For example, in our own world, a creature the mass and density of a dragon would not be able to fly, nor could it breathe fire, but in Erden such creatures exist and have such abilities. Magic is the supernatural. Human social, economic and technological advancement in Legend of the Bones is similar to Earth's in the 11th and 12th centuries, with a handful of notable exceptions. In social terms, feudalism has already started to give way to early capitalist structures seen in Earth's European Renaissance. Geopolitical structures are typically small to medium-sized kingdoms and city-states, though republics and empires may also be found. Shipbuilding is more advanced, and vessels ranging from longships to carracks can be found. Black powder has yet to be weaponized and is known by only a few alchemists and mages. Similarly, warfare technology has not developed full plate armor. Plate mail is the most advanced armor available, and even then it is rare and expensive, and usually the preserve of the elite. Most warriors rely on a combination of fur, leather and mail armor. That is probably enough for now, let's get back to the story. Chapter 5, Part 3, Day 12, Afternoon Party Status The party's status is unchanged, except they will no longer suffer a penalty to attack and damage rolls. Having secured some of their equipment in their rooms, the companions headed for the barracks. 
A blanket of cloud had moved in from the west, though there was no sign of rain. Just a few yards along from the anchor, the high street opened into a small square which contained a bustling market. A dozen or so stalls offered a variety of produce, meat, fish and vegetables, as well as ironmongery, pottery and leather goods. Townsfolk haggled with stallholders. A busker entertained a small crowd, whilst urchins played with dogs or otherwise made mischief. On the other side of the square stood the barracks, a squat three-storey keep with a crenellated wall. From narrow windows on the second floor hung long banners showing a white stag's head on a green field. Beric, Lena and Valen started to head towards the barracks until they noticed that Keir had stopped. They went back to the rogue who had a look of uncertainty on his face. What ails you? Beric asked. I, uh, let's just say that people in authority don't much like people like me, Keir replied. Ah, I see. Well, as far as I'm concerned, we were both shipmates. No one need know otherwise. The big man smiled. Keir returned the grin. You know what, Beric? You're alright. The party weaved their way between the townsfolk to cross the square. The entrance to the barracks consisted of a high arched doorway, though the iron-bound doors themselves were open. A spearman was posted on either side of the portal, each wearing mail and a surcoat with the same stag emblem as that displayed on the banners. As the party approached, the guard crossed their spears and demanded their business. We seek an audience with the Reef, Beric explained. There has been an attack by a group bearing this emblem. Beric showed the guards his shield. The two men looked at each other, then one nodded and said, Follow me. The guard turned and led the companions through the doorway, into an antechamber. It was immediately clear that the barracks was a functional building. There were no unnecessary adornments or comforts. The antechamber had a number of doorways leading off either side, and a circular stairway was situated in one of the corners. Ahead of them was a set of heavy double doors, at which another two spearmen were posted. The guard nodded at his comrades and proceeded to open the doors. The party followed the guard into a large pillared hall, some 40 feet long by 30 feet wide. On the left wall there were two tall lancet windows, through which the pale daylight illuminated the room. At the far wall was a large stone hearth in which a fire was lit, and before that a long table stood widthwise. Two armoured figures stood either side of the table. The one nearest, a woman by the shape of her, had her back to the party, whilst the other, a man, stood behind the table, his hands resting on the surface. On hearing the approaching footsteps, the pair ceased their conference and faced the newcomers. The woman was in her thirties. She had a scarred face and pale blue eyes. Her fair hair was cut at the length of her mouth and cropped in at the nape of her neck. The man was older, perhaps forty, though he looked well built and was clearly in charge. The guard stopped a few feet from the table and nodded at the man. My lord. Dramatis Personae Branach Branach is a human fifth level fighter. He is 42 years old. His once dark hair is worn swept back, but like his beard is now mostly grey. His eyes are blue, and the shape narrow, giving him a perpetual look of scrutiny, 
which is not far from the truth. Whilst he is not as quick as he once was, he remains a formidable fighter, and can be often found training with his men. He is a firm yet fair man, and has come to be respected by the people of Halston, despite being an outsider. Brannock has spent almost his entire adult life bearing arms in the service of the Conwyn family, to whom he is fiercely loyal. The current Lord Conwyn's father was quick to recognise Brannock as a disciplined and shrewd tactician, and the soldier was quickly rewarded with confidence and promotion. When the old lord died and his son inherited his land, the young Lord Conwyn looked to Brannock as a trusted advisor and lieutenant. So when the former reeve of Halstone was ambushed and killed by brigands five years ago, and the town's importance growing, Lord Conwyn wasted little time in appointing Brannock as his new representative. Brannock quickly recognised that Halstone was facing threats and opportunities, so he oversaw the construction of new defences and revitalised the harbour, which brought both security and economic growth. But over the past few months, new troubles have emerged. A spate of kidnappings has plagued the town, with children disappearing in the night never to be seen again. Attacks by brigands and goblins on the road through the Hartwood were once again on the increase, and then there had been reports from Four Rivers of miners disappearing, threatening to disrupt Halstone's trade. Brannock only had a small garrison of 40 men, but a plan to send half a dozen to investigate. That was until the incident two weeks ago. A score of heavily armed men bearing the mark of a blazing sun had approached from the east. The guards had spotted them a half a mile away and hurriedly closed and barred the gates. The raids from brigands and goblins were much less frequent since the construction of the town's defences, but it still remained a threat. Brannock had met the warband at the gates and demanded their business. Their leader, a bald man with a baleful look about him, claimed to be a cleric. He produced a writ with the king's seal of authority to enter any community and dispense justice on witches and heretics, and so Brannock had little choice but to open the gates. The cleric, whose name was Reynard of Harburg, stated that they were seeking a man, Amos Ap Howen. The old hermit was known to the folk of Halstone. He came to the region twenty years hence and took over the old lighthouse at Pencarath. Amos would come to Halstone once every few months and would pay well in advance for goods to be supplied every couple of weeks. There was talk, of course, that the old man was a warlock, but he spent his silver and the rest of the time he was far enough away at Pencarath that nobody cared. Reynard requisitioned the hall and interrogated dozens of townsfolk under threat of being charged with consorting with witches until he learnt the whereabouts of Amos Aphowan, and more besides. Having secured the knowledge he sought, Reynard and his men rode west, only to return a week later, albeit there were fewer of them. The next day, the cleric held a public trial for Magret, the midwife, accusing the old woman of witchcraft, citing countless examples of babes and mothers unnaturally surviving due to her sorcery. Magret begged the onlookers to speak on her behalf, but the townsfolk were fearful of the consequences of defending the old woman. Brannock alone spoke up, knowing his position offered him some protection. Still, the Reeve knew he could not risk armed conflict with these outsiders. His lord would not support the challenging of the King's writ over the life of an old woman. And so the cleric brushed aside Brannock's objections and condemned old Magret. His men constructed a pyre outside the temple, and under a cold ashen sky the old woman was brought to the place of execution and bound to the stake. The cleric stepped forward with a flaming brand, he turned and addressed the assembled crowd. 
people of Alston. Today, we purge the taint from this town through the purifying light of the flame. This is a warning to any who consort with witches or heretics. Reynard lit the oil-soaked pyre. Many of the townsfolk averted their eyes. Children buried their faces in the skirts of their mothers and clasped hands over their ears as old Magritte's screams echoed through the town. Chapter 5 Part 4 Day 12 Afternoon Party status The party's status is unchanged. Brannock and the woman the Reeve had introduced as Captain Egrain had listened intently as the party had given their account of their trials. When they got to the part about the attack by the Brethren on the Tower of Pencarath, the Reeve sat up in his chair and insisted they not miss a single detail. Valen described the bald cleric and how the Brethren had murdered his master, Amos Ap Howen, before leaving him to die. Beric had shown the shield taken from the Brethren as proof of their words, which now lay on the table. We left the house cave, camped for the night, and continued our journey, and so we arrived in Halstone this morning. We took the children back to their father before coming here. There was an elongated silence as Brannock absorbed everything he had heard. The companions looked at each other, unsure of what the silence meant. The Reeve sat back in his ornately carved chair, his elbows resting on the armrests and the fingers of his hands pressed together. He looked at each of the companions in turn and finally spoke. If what you say is true, then, in killing those foul creatures you have done this town a service, our children can now sleep soundly in their beds. There was another pause. Brannock tapped his two index fingers together. Egrain, the Reeve addressed the captain. Send men to verify this claim. Lord, the captain replied before making a short bow and leaving the hall. Brannock turned back to the companions. Whilst I do not doubt your tale, it is my duty to see the evidence, he explained. As for the brethren, they grow far too powerful. They are a scourge, and I fear their poison now infects the highest seats of power. Brannock looked at Valen. You, my friend, take heed. You've nothing to fear from me. My sister, God's rest her soul, had the sight. But these lands are no longer safe for your kind. I fear you speak the truth, my lord, the mage replied. So then, it would seem to me that you are clearly folk who can be of use. And as it happens, I have need of such people. People who know how to get things done. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. If you like what you've heard, then please consider giving it a five-star review in your podcatcher of choice. Every review helps the show reach new listeners. You can also help by liking or retweeting new episode announcements. You can contact me on Twitter at legendbones, email at legendofthebones at gmail.com, or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, character profiles, maps, and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the bones decide their fate.
none shall escape the destiny of bone.